Good morning. How's everyone? Good, good. My name's Eric. If you haven't met me, we're so glad you came to worship and open up God's Word with us. Uh, if you're new, we'd love to meet you in the courtyard, offer you a gift at the Welcome Center, maybe some literature to help you uh, study your Bible or help you connect to our church family. Um, if you were here last week, you got to uh, participate in Market of Hope with us, uh, where we help uh, the gospel go where it's not and help it be shared with people who don't know Christ and uh, the gifts that are in uh, this catalog helped that happen. And so they get to um, see that God loves them and they hear this, the, the message and the truth that Christ died on the cross for their sins. And so we partner with people all around the globe for the gospel to be shared, uh, for Christ to be worshiped, to strengthen fellow believers, um, that God loves them and there are other Christians on the other side of the world thinking about them and praying for them. So you still have time to do that. Um, to fill that out, and we thank you for your generosity and Pastor Dave challenging us last week uh, not to just make it a transaction but a relationship uh, to get to know the people that our brothers and sisters in Christ that we're partnering with. And so, uh, again, that's still open, and thank you for your generosity. And uh, last thing is next week, be ready, uh, church picnic. And so it's a good time to hang out. The two extroverts down here are excited. The rest of you must be introverts. Okay, here's the good news. Enough people come that you can hide, okay? And it's not one of those things where there's only three people and it'll be obvious that you're talking to no one. There'll be plenty of people for you to hide and hang out and maybe meet someone you don't know. So we encourage you to do that. Uh, so look on the church app, check online for details. Uh, we still need some signups. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna jump right into Matthew chapter 14. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you love us. Uh, we thank you for your word. And we pray that your word would guide our hearts, it would challenge us, it would teach us, it would equip us. Uh, but most of all, I just pray that uh, we would have a passion um, to go to your word to find answers and find truth and see uh, all that you have for us because you answer so many questions in your word. And so we pray that we would just look deep now into it that we would be comforted, we would be challenged, that we would have a greater love and fervor for you. And we just pray that your words would speak and not mine. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're in Matthew chapter 14. And uh, anytime, you know, you're, you're at a, a church like ours, it's a Bible teaching church, and we go through a book. And so sometimes in a story, there's gonna be this one part that doesn't necessarily connect to another part, but nonetheless, it's all there. And so we wanna talk about it. And so this first one is about Jesus praying, and it's right before, it's, it's a transition from the feeding of the 5,000 uh, to Peter walking on water. And so what we have here is Jesus praying. And we want to at least look at it a little bit and understand some of what the scriptures teach us and inform us about what's happening. Okay, so first thing uh, I want us to think through and I want you to think through is that there is a dynamic playing here that is very important. And I know you guys love it when we talk theology. It's your favorite part. Um, but I don't do it unless I really think it's important and helpful, meaning this principle we're going to walk through, most heresies and cults, mess up on one side or the other, okay? So what you have in this passage is what's called the hypostatic union, right? The union of deity and humanity. Jesus is fully God, fully man comes together. And we need to understand that the Bible shows us both pieces. And most cults or heresies will, will dismiss either the deity or they'll dismiss the humanity, okay? So what do you see? Jesus is praying, 
in his humanity. He's going to the Father. He's talking to the Father. He has a relationship with the Father. The Father is the one whom he cries out to. He's the one whom he talks to in his humanity. Then you see, just a little bit further down, in verse 27, he's walking on water. He's commanding the weather. And he says, it is I, which is ego I me, is I am. That's the statement you see when Moses asks God, who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? He says, I am, right? So it's the same phrasing, fully God, fully man. And so it's important we realize that those two always coexist together. If we don't have deity, we don't have the ability to rise from the dead. We don't have the ability uh, to be perfect. And in humanity, we need our representative. He dies in our place. He, he, on our behalf, as a man, pays for our sin. So both coming together, okay, very important. So the next part of that is in his humanity, as our representative, what does he teach us? That he prays. And he prays for a long time. Uh, if you look at it, it says that he was left alone there in the evening. And it says in verse 20, about 25, about the watch, the fourth watch of the night. So that gap is about seven hours. Yeah, so he's not just running through a checklist. Um, you, you can kind of tell prayer here, is, it's not transactional. So that God is a genie. Hey, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. Okay, boom, let's move is he actually has a relationship to the Father. And so my, my prayer for this, as you'd see, is when we pray, we want to pray biblically. And you can be biblically relational, okay? And here's, here's how I want to tie this together, because I think sometimes we think, man, if I pray through what's in my Bible, it, it can be robotic, and it doesn't address the things going on in the world, and it doesn't address, you know, the things I'm concerned about. But actually, it really does, okay? Let's just take Israel here for a second, which, side note, if you have questions and want to know more, our podcast is out. should be helpful. Pastor Dave does a great job. I did okay. So you look at that. You can pray for Israel and be very biblical, you don't need to take a Republican stance, a Democratic stance. You can pray for Israel and be biblical. Why? Because God loves Israel. Read Romans 11. He's telling the Gentiles, hey, you need to care about them. They were my chosen people to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. They had the law. They had the prophets. They started this. I chose to use them. And so you're not being political. You're not being worldly. You're simply praying things God cares about. You want to pray for Palestine. That's great. Why? Because God tells us, pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemy. Pray for the weak. Pray for the sick. It doesn't have to come under a guise of politics, being an American. You can look at the scriptures and it tells you to pray about these things. Tells you to teach your kids in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night. You can pray about your kids biblically. Okay, and so prayer can be guided through the Bible. You don't have to read a special book and go on a, a secret place. You don't have to do any of that craziness. You don't need to talk to a monk, none of this stuff. He simply talks to the Father, and you can be guided about what you talk to the Father about through the scriptures. 
You can pray biblically. It has all the things. It talks about marriage. It talks about parenting. It talks about money. It talks about your enemies. It talks about nations. It talks about the lost. It talks about having sickness. It talks about having enemies. It talks about friendship. Okay? So all of these things, go to the Father. Spend time with him. And think of prayer relationally. Um, it's not a transaction. Some people, they, they struggle with this. Well, why should I pray if God already knows? We've talked about that, that Jesus says, you know, the Father already knows what you need. And then he tells you to pray anyway. Why? Because it's a relational process. And I don't think you'll see that play out, but it's important we see that, is that Jesus takes time to pray, and not a quick prayer. He prays. And he prays to the Father because he loves him. He loves the Father. Okay, so as he is praying, he says there's a great distance away. The disciples are on a boat and they're going to the other side. And in the midst of that comes a great storm and the disciples are terrified. And so we get to see uh, some principles here that to walk through. The first one is that in the midst of this storm, in the midst of what's going on, is that Peter actually has faith. And we want to talk about faith and talk about Peter this is important. I think sometimes Christians get um, beat up, picked on, made fun of because we have faith. And so faith gets looked at as a, um, something less intelligent people do, non-thinking people do, um, something that is considered you know, blind trust or blind faith. And it's something that people who can't think rely on to make them feel better. You guys ever heard stuff like that? A little bit? Okay, I came across this uh, the first time in my sophomore year of high school, I had a conversation with my biology teacher. And uh, what I said to him was really smart, but it wasn't my words, it was my youth pastor's. He was really smart, but I got the benefits of it. So he was talking about how, you know, creation happens and, you know, this big collision and there's people who believe that God created it, but that's silly and that's nonsense. You can only know things to be true empirically. Right? You can only know things through your empirical senses, sight, touch, smell, taste, hearing, all, your five senses. So that's the only way you can know things to be true. And so this is what my youth pastor told me to say. So I said, well, how do you know that sentence is true using your five senses? Like you can't touch that sentence, taste that sentence, right? hear that sentence. Right? How do you prove that sentence is true using your five sentences, your five senses? And he's like, well, that, that doesn't matter. And I'm like, oh, so you have faith. Right? So I, I got to have a lot of fun. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you can't prove it according to your methods, so then you must believe it's true and have faith. And he's like, well, I have reasonable faith. So do I. That's the essence of what I'm getting at. Okay? He wasn't there. He can't prove God doesn't exist. But he has a bunch of reasons why he thinks what he thinks. Christians, we have reasonable faith. We have reason to trust the Bible. We have reason to trust Christ. Does Peter have good reason to trust Jesus on what we've seen through the book of Matthew? It wasn't a trick question. Absolutely. He's seen Jesus feed the 5,000. He's seen Jesus calm the storm. He's seen Jesus heal the lame. He's seen Jesus forgive sins. He's seen Jesus perform miracles at weddings. He's seen Jesus do all kinds of things. Does he have reason to trust Jesus? 
Absolutely. It's not just blind, get off the boat and run. He has a relationship with Jesus, a trust, follow relationship that helps him come to a place of trusting reasonably. And so it's important that we realize when we're called to have faith, when we're seeing faith, it's not you just blindly agree and there's no good reason to it. But at the end of the day, there will come a place where you have to put your foot out of the boat and on the water. There will, there will come that time where you have to meet that. But for this part, what I want you to see is that Peter, I really believe he had reason. He had good reason to trust him. He had good reason to trust Jesus. And so the next part of this I want to, I want to make clear is when we think of faith, you know, we have there's saving faith, right? How do you become a Christian? You believe, you trust that Jesus is the one who died and paid for your sins. You're not saved by works. However, what's the evidence of your faith? Is your works. Works prove, show, reveal faith. They're not, not works save you, but they show you, you believe. So when Peter, he steps out, he's showing evidence. Hey, I trust Jesus. He's the one whom I follow. He's the one whom I trust. So important for us to think through is how am I actively trusting Christ? If you were to look at my life, you would see that I trust Jesus. That I'm one whom follow. I follow him. I don't just say it. I didn't just say a prayer 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. You can show in my life that I trust him. Whether it's I trust his commandments. I I trust his provision. I trust his decisions. I trust his sovereignty. I, I trust that he will judge and he will make things right. Whatever lens you want to put that through, how, how does it come together? Okay. Uh, as I was thinking through this, um, it just reminded me, I was like, okay, when was the time I could tie this in? And I was thinking through, you know, what we went through in COVID and just thinking through, okay, what do we believe to be true about Christ, okay? What do we believe to be true about the Bible? And as we are searching the scriptures, it's like, man, the church gathers. The church gathers. They were persecuted. The church gathered. Uh, when, when there was famine and sickness, the church gathered. And so we're looking through church history. Man, the church, through persecution, war, and famine, the church gathered. And we're looking through. It's like, we believe the scriptures call us to gather. Well, if we believe that, then what do we got to do? We got to gather. You have to have an action to your belief because it validates the belief. And it was something we had to do through prayer, through the scripture, and, and coming to that conclusion. It's again, reasonably. Wasn't we turned on the news and we're like, oh, we'll show them. Didn't read a health study and say, oh, that's nonsense or this is, no, 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 no. It's, what did the scripture say? What did we reasonably conclude then how do we show that we actually believe that conclusion? So stepping out is part of that. Faith, uh, you can think of it in three terms, that you know, agree, and trust kind of all encapsulate what it means to have faith. Do you know that that's what God says? You know it is God. If you look, before, before Peter runs out into the ocean or out into the sea, what does he do? He verifies that it's actually Jesus. Why? Because at first they thought it was a ghost. So he doesn't just blindly run like, oh, a ghost, sweet, a demon. Hopefully it's Jesus. He goes, no, 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 Lord, is that you? 
Verse 28, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. So he knows, okay, it's Jesus. I have a relationship with Jesus. I've talked with Jesus. I know what he sounds like. I know what he asks. I know it's him. That's part one. Part two, you agree. He agrees. Okay, it is Jesus. It is him who's asking me. So I'm now going to trust. I'm going to take an action step. I'm going to go out there and actually do what he's telling me to do. Trust, know, and agree, right? Those three principles. And so when you think about it, it's not, okay, do I know it's from God, from his word? Do I agree? And then trust, will I put action behind my decision? And so it's important, you see, faith is not just something you intellectually decide. It's a full buy-in. It's a verb. It's an action. And Peter decides, I'm not going to just say I trust Jesus. I'm actually going to get out of the boat. I'm going to move. Now, here's what's important for us to see. In the midst of faith, there are going to be storms, chaos, you know, anxiety, pressures, fear that come. Uh, I think in, in some sense, sometimes we get tied to this idea that if I'm trusting Christ and I'm following him, nothing bad can happen to me. Okay? There's that old kind of Sunday school saying, um, there's no safer place to be than in the hands of Jesus. I mean, in one sense, because he's absolutely sovereign, but in another sense, if you're reading, there's no scarier place to be than in the hands of Jesus. You read your Bible, and would we just look at John the Baptist? He's called the greatest man ever born of a woman, and he's beheaded. I don't exactly call that safe, do you? There, literally, Peter's within, you know, I don't know, let's say 100 yards of Jesus, and he's in a storm sinking. So what you have to realize is part of faith is hard circumstances. It doesn't preclude or save you from difficulties. And that's where the, the world or, or this kind of pop culture Christianity wants to say, if you, just need to, if you have enough faith, bad things won't happen to you. That's just a lie. Sometimes when you have a lot of faith, bad things happen to you because you have a lot of faith. What you have to get into our minds is God says, I'm going to have this happen because it's good for you. Well, how can chaos and anxiety and storms be good for me? So that's where faith, you trust. that Christ knows what is best. You trust. Because through the actions you take in that chaos, through that faith, it gives evidence. Evidence to unbelievers, evidence to believers, and evidence even to yourself that you love Christ. Hey, look at John 14, 15 through 16. Just marry these two ideas together. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, there's this idea of love, faith, and obedience. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And so there's this kind of affirmation in our behavior that we love and we trust Christ. And so it's not just enough to say, oh, yeah, I love him. I said a prayer. No, I love him. I follow him. He says not to gossip. I don't gossip. He says marriage is between a man and a woman. He says to not commit adultery. He says to not get angry. He says do not be anxious. All of the things he tells me not to do, I trust 
and it gives evidence to my faith. And then when the storm comes, that's when that'll be challenged. Do you really believe? Do you really trust? Okay, so Peter's fear, I want you to catch this. Fear, circumstances, anxiety, it's always going to be what challenges your faith. There's always going to be some external feature that challenges the absolute fabric of your love, affection, and trust towards Christ. And it's important to see here what happens is Peter allows external circumstances to take his eyes off Jesus and put his eyes on the chaos around him. You're like, Pastor, I feel like you're reading into that. I'm glad you brought that up. Let's look at verse 30. It says, but when he saw the wind, how do you see wind? He was looking around. You could see things moving. So he, using his senses, right, he sees, moves his eyes. And as he moves his eyes, he becomes afraid and he begins to sink and he cries out. See, it's very important for us to realize you could be literally hundreds of feet from Jesus and that doesn't mean you won't go through the storm. Jesus invites him off the boat knowing in his deity the wind is going to blow and you're going to be afraid. Okay, so for all of us, there's going to be something that challenges you to not trust Christ, to not continue to taking the next step. See, this is a great passage because it really speaks to all of us. Because A, you're on the boat, right? Two, you, you, oh man, I want to get off and I want to follow. You get excited and you take that step. You know it's him. You agree it's him. You trust it's him. And then boom, something happens. And it challenges the very fabric of you trusting Jesus. And all of a sudden your eyes come off of him and your eyes turn on to your sickness, your bank account, a relationship, fear, anxiety, whatever it is. And you're not looking at him and you're trying to solve the problem, solve the problem, solve the problem because you're trying to make the anxiety and the fear go away. And the fear, it's there to drive a wedge. It's there to get you to focus on solving instead of trusting. And so when you look at passages, I want you to see this. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So he says, don't have this feeling in anything, but in everything, go to prayer. I'm like, why are you hammering that? Because I always find it fascinating as a pastor. People will come to me. And I'll be like, hey, have you prayed about it? It's like, I don't need to pray. Don't tell me that. I'm not a child. Well, I'm pretty sure Jesus was a grown man and he prayed. He is the son of God and he prayed. And the Bible tells us to pray. And yet it's one of the, it's one of the things we dismiss first. As if prayer is just there. Some nice, cute idea Jesus told us that we could teach our kids about, but not practice. The Bible's very clear. Well, why do you do that? Because prayer is a relational place where you go to the Father about the things that are making you anxious. And you go to him in anything that makes you anxious 
with thanksgiving and supplication. Well, what's supplication? It's the pleading of God, I need this, God, I need this, God, I need this. And you plead with him and you plead with him and you plead with him with thanksgiving. It says, let your requests be known to him. Seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you've been a Christian for a while, you know that that's true. You know there's times when you felt like the world was falling apart. All you could do was pray. And somehow at the end of that prayer, there was a peace inside of you. There was a peace that said, you're going to be okay. Now here's what we have to understand. That peace is not the absence of the circumstance. That peace is that he is with you, he loves you, and you're not alone. That's the peace. And sometimes it takes a lot of praying. Because we're like, God, take it from me. Take it, please. And he's like, hey, come on. And we grab it back down, grab it back down. So we have to keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. And so we finally work that out in prayer and say, okay, 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 I can trust you. See, going to Jesus in the fear, that's what we have to understand. Bad circumstances will come. The storm will come. The wind will blow. The question is, will we take our eyes off Jesus? And will we allow external factors to cause us to not pray, not read our Bibles, not trust him, and to dig in our heels and try and get the favorable circumstance that we desire, that we want, because we want this feeling to go away at any and all costs? And will it cause us to do the worst thing, which would be to go away from Christ? That's why I want you to catch. What is Peter's response? Let's look at verse 30. He saw the wind. He was afraid. He began to sink. And he cried out to who? Lord, save me. Notice Peter doesn't try to swim back to the boat. Peter doesn't cry out and say, hey, throw me a net. Throw me a pole. I don't know if they had floating devices back then, but you know, throw me something, piece of wood. No, 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 no. His first response is to cry out to the Lord. When your world falls apart, what is your first response? When you see something that causes the insides of you to move sideways and back and forth and blood pressure to boil, what is your first response? I want us to think about something. I want us to think about something because this is the essence of, of part of why the storm comes is that it's to teach us to go to Jesus. But we're so conditioned to do other things because there's this emotion in us. There's these strong, powerful feelings of either abandonment, fear, anger, revenge, you know, hatred, whatever it is, it's in, it's in there. For some of us, you know, you, you turn on the news. And I don't know why that soothes you, just angry people talking about angry things, and somehow that calms you. And you're like, oh, yes, I can be angry about that. I mean, I don't know. Some of you go online and you find people to agree with your positions. And you're like, see, this person who doesn't know anything agrees with me. Yes. And it soothes you. I don't know why, but it does. You know, some of you, you go to the stock market, you go to your checkbook, and you're like, oh, that, but this, this, everything's fine. You know, this, this one's more my style. Food. Food is so comforting. I don't know if you know that. 
right? But here's the bad part for a minute. And then it's gone. And then you're sad again. So then you eat more. And then you feel guilty about doing it. You feel worse. And it doesn't work. You know, some of you, you, you dig in, you try to control it. Okay, you have that flight or fight. The fighters, they want to control. Oh, I'll fix it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And you just jump in trying to make everything bend to your will. And you have your flight. You just run. You go binge watch. You go ignore. You don't talk. You don't look. You, don't, you, just, you hide. Within all of us, there is a mechanism we go to outside of Christ to try and calm the storm. It's all through the passage. They were terrified. Do not be afraid. He was afraid. He cried out. See, the question is, what is your response when the storm comes? Peter offers and shows and demonstrates the perfect response Lord, King. Notice the wording, Lord, King, save me. Why? Because he's the one who fed the 5,000. He's the one who calmed the ocean. He's the one who heals the sick. He's the one who forgives the sins. Why not go to Christ? See, what we have to get in our minds is that bad things can happen to you And it is absolutely a part of God's plan. And in that plan, his desire and goal is for you to turn to him. Because in that turning and crying out, it evidences your faith to yourself and those around you. In that response, it is an evidence of that faith. It's a confirmation of that faith. This is why it's so important. Do you go to your Bible? That God knows the answer. God has an answer. Do you go to him in prayer? Do you turn to him and say, God, what am I to do? It's okay to cry out, to be overwhelmed. That happens to us. We're created beings. We're sinful beings. And so the goal is, is not for you to feel guilty about feeling that way. The goal is that you would go to the proper place to be helped about that circumstance. The response is to go to Jesus. Okay? Now here's, here's the thing. So let's key in here really quick on verse 31. Jesus immediately reaches out, gives his hand, took hold of him and says, oh, you of little faith. What's interesting is he doesn't say he has no faith, just says he has a little faith. And that is encouraging because it shows he's starting to trust. At least he went to the right place. At least he went to the right place. And now, what does he get to? Verse 31, why did you doubt? That's the question for you. Why do you doubt? Why do I doubt? Now, there's a myriad of things, and I want you to think about it because it all comes back to the same place, but we're going we're gonna to take it wide and bring it in here. Some people say, oh, well, I, 
intellectually doubt. I can't trust the scriptures because it's, you know, it's written by man. I can't trust, I can't trust, I can't trust. And it's like, no, that's an excuse because you put faith in plenty of other things. You can't prove God doesn't exist. Whatever moral compass you're using outside of the Bible, you're trusting that it's correct. It's not that you can't trust it. Some of it's, well, it's, 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 it's an emotional piece. I just, I can't believe in a God that allows suffering. I turn on the news, I see the pain, I see the hatred, I see the anger. See, now we're getting somewhere. The doubt is, how could a God who loves me let this happen? I can't trust God because pain is happening. And if pain is happening, he doesn't care. I need to fix it myself. See, the doubt, this is the tension How can a God that loves me and cares for me allow this to happen? Because if I were in charge, this would never happen. That's where the danger settles in. If he loved me, I wouldn't be sinking. This can't be a part of the plan. This can't be a part of it. There's no way this is a part of it. It makes no sense to me. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't sound right. It doesn't look right. It's causing people pain. It's causing me pain. Therefore, it can't be true. Therefore, I need to somehow remedy and fix the things that are causing these feelings. See, the essence of doubt is we don't think God is doing a good job. Okay, now, let's think through this. We use that measure or method of if we should trust God. If I don't understand it and I can't agree with it, I know the Bible says marriage between a man and a woman, that doesn't make sense to me. I know the Bible says you shouldn't gossip, that seems silly. The Bible says marriage should be this way, that seems silly. I think I should do this. Okay, so think through this. If what we're saying is you should only listen to God when it makes sense to you, are we saying The condition to obedience is agreement. I will obey if I agree. And only under those circumstances should I obey. Then let's apply that to parenting. Your kids only need to listen to the things that make sense to them and they agree with. You let me know how that works out for you. That's not the sermon you want, is it? Of course not. Why? Because you're like, they're seven. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't shower and brush their teeth and eat their vegetables. Why would I listen to them about finances and time and assets? And why? They're just a kid. Well, we're just dirt. We're humans. He says his ways are higher than our ways. He's absolutely sovereign, absolutely all-powerful and all-knowing. Why wouldn't we listen to him? The fact that we're not going to agree is a given. We're sinful seven-year-olds who don't understand. The question is, will you trust the Father when you're that seven-year-old and it makes no sense and the storm is raging and the feelings are rising and all you want to do is make it stop? 
Will you simply cry out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Go through his word. Go through him. Go to him. Cry out to him. And trust like Job. Sometimes the Lord gives and sometimes the Lord takes. Either way, you trust him. That his ways are higher than your ways. And the only way you'll get in a position to do that is one step at a time. Peter didn't come to this place overnight. That's why we read the Bible chapter by chapter. It's been building. Peter's been a nuisance and he's been crazy and he's been wild and he's slowly, slowly starting to realize it's better to trust Jesus. It's better to trust Jesus. It's better to trust Jesus. I'm sinking. Jesus, help me. And he helps him. He helps him. Now, I want you to catch the next response because there's two responses. So he says, why did you doubt? Because right? couldn't believe, why is this happening to me? I trusted. Okay, 32. And then he got in the boat. The wind stops. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. You are God. They worship. See, worship has to be a part of the response. See, we condition ourselves when good things happen. We, we get excited and we praise him. Well, what about in the bad things? What about in the mundane things? What about in the hard things? See, worship is a testing praise or affection. God, you're good. God, I love you. You're amazing. You're worth my time, my effort, my talent, my treasure, right? That's worshiping God. You do that in the bad and you do that in the good so your mind knows he's good, he's powerful, he's good, he's powerful. So that when the storm comes, worshiping isn't contrary to you, it's what you've always been doing. See, worship teaches us and reminds us the goodness and the greatness of God that what he saved you. Because even in your worst day, you can't ignore he saved you from hell and saved you to himself. True? That by itself is worthy of worship. The response has to be worship. This is what the essence of Job is getting at. And this is what the essence of what Satan is getting at in our world is if I can take your health or I can take your wealth, you won't love him. There will be no evidence of your faith. And when you worship, it is essentially saying you can take my health, you can take my wealth, but you cannot take my God. This is why Job says to God, hey, if you take away all his money, he'll curse you. And God's like, no, he loves me. Or Satan says, Let's, we'll see about that. So he takes all of it. He said, well, if you take his health, take his family, then he'll curse you. God says, no, he won't. He loves me. See, the storms are the opportunities to show your love and affection aren't conditioned for Christ upon anything. That's why it's important that the response is always worship. Okay, so let's frame it really quick before we conclude here. You step out in faith. You say, God, I trust you. The storm comes. 
when it causes anxiety and fear and anger, whatever it is, and it rises up, our response is to cry out to Jesus, Jesus, save me. And then worship him because he saved you. See, I think so many times in our culture, we just, we jump from one crisis to the next. That's why I love this is they actually just take a moment and stop and they worship. They don't get on the boat and it's like, well, who's over there and who do we got to see? And, and someone's paralyzed over here and someone's dying over here and they haven't eaten over here. No, 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 no. The problems will always be there. Circumstances should never take away from worship. They should actually drive and cause and warrant worship more because it causes you to go to the one who does save, who does love, who can help. So you walk in faith, you have a storm, you cry out to Jesus and you praise him. It's what you see through here. Some questions for us to think through. Okay, first question. What is the hypostatic union and why does it matter? Right? Fully God, fully man. He is fully God, able to take away our sins, overcome death. Fully man, our representative. If we don't know that, we'll easily fall into heresy because they'll divorce one or the two. Fully God, fully man, fully united. Okay? Two, what are fears in your life that get in the way of your faith? What gets in the way of you reading your Bible? What gets in the way of you praying? What gets in the way of you forgiving? What gets in the way of you sharing your faith? Just think through all the things that God asks you to do. What gets in the way of that? What fear? Fear of people judging you, hating you, trusting the Lord to take care of them, forgiving someone. There's all types of fears that cause us to not want to trust Christ. Can you identify them? And work through it. Three, when you get overwhelmed, what's your first response? You need to identify this so that when you go back to that first response, you can be like, oh, wow, I'm letting this be my Jesus. I'm letting this be my Jesus. I need to, I need to stop. I need to cry out to Christ. I need to pray. And I need to worship because it reminds me. He loves me. It reminds me. He paid for me. For what does this passage teach us about adversity? That you could be super close to Jesus. It doesn't preclude or save you from a storm. Sometimes God says the storm is the plan. Trust me. Trust me and worship. If you're going through a hard time, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. He's saying, I'm going to teach you something. This is the plan. I do love you. Cry out to me. Worship me. I am with you. That's the interesting part. Jesus is with him the whole time. Okay? Just like us. Five, how should Peter's example in this passage encourage you? Should encourage you that it's good to get off the boat. It's good to take that step. But also know with that step will come a storm. And it's okay to cry out. Everyone cries out. Who isn't Jesus, right? It's okay to cry out, trust him, he will save you and worship. That's the rhythm you see in here. Step out in faith. Cry out in the storm. Worship as a response. Because he is able to do all things, all things for us, 
because he loves us. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. And I just pray that we would trust you more, love you more, and we would step out in faith in the things you call us to, that when the storm comes, God, we would trust you. We would look to you. We'd cry out, Lord, save me. And God, that we would worship you, that you have saved us. You saved us from death. You saved us from hell. You saved us from our sins. We would cry out and worship. You truly are the Son of God. You truly are the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. God, I pray that we would just continue to search through the Scriptures to know you and love you and want to be like your Son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.